Good morning. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 130. For those of you that have a smartphone and you have the Bible app, uh, if you go to the Bible app and you click on um, more on the far right, at least for the iPhone, no for your phone, go down to events. I think it's like the seventh one down. If you click on events, you'll see our church is on there, Lexington Baptist Church. And so if you are in the digital age and you want to keep your notes and you want to use our the app, you can. And it'll have all the notes that are up here on our screen will be on there for you. That's helpful for you. If you were here last week, you heard me describing different books of the Psalms. We're in Psalm 1. Today we'll be in Psalm 130. We talked about there are five different books of the Psalms, multiple themes and different styles. Psalm 130 is in book number five. It's called a hymn, and its structure is that of strophe. It's meter. And so in Hebrew, it has a meter and a rhyme to it. Psalm 130 is also one of the 15 songs of ascent. So Psalm 120 through Psalm 134 is a song of ascent. Well, what is a song of ascent? What does it mean to ascend? It means to go up or down. Up, to go up. A psalm ascent is a song that people would sing as they went up to Jerusalem for a feast or a festival. They would go up. Well, why do we say go up? So sometimes, you know, we'll say, well, I went up yesterday to, to Roanoke. We would know that's incorrect. We went down. Right? That's, that's south. Why would you say we're going up? Is everybody, is everybody south of Jerusalem that's singing this? Well, physically, topographically, Jerusalem is located next to a place called the Dead Sea. So 15 miles east of Jerusalem is the Dead Sea, which is at, at sea level, 1,400 feet below sea level. Hence, Dead Sea, nothing goes in it. Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. So the area surrounding Jerusalem, you're going literally, physically up. The difference between the Dead Sea and Jerusalem is higher than what we have at House Mountain. So for those of you that have taken the time to climb House Mountain, you get that sense of going up. It's not just an easy stroll. It's working your quads and your thighs <laughs> as you're going up there. For those of us that are aged, we feel, we feel every step. Man, this really is an ascent. And so they're singing these songs of sins. And if you know, as we do here in Lexington, where we have so many hills and everything seems, no matter which way you're going, eventually you're going to be going up soon enough. And as we're going uphill, you realize sometimes we have to stop and take a breather. And as they were going up, imagine yourself putting yourself in this spot where here are these people coming in for this festival. Think of the Passover, the Day of Atonement. And here they are coming up. And the crowd starts getting a little bit more thick as we get closer to the city. Like we had here on July 4th on Main Street. And all of a sudden, where did all these people come from? And the street's just packed. Like this, that we get that sense of everything is starting to fill up. And four or five miles in, you start hearing these songs. And you know these songs because there's 15. There's the playbook for what you sing on the way up to Jerusalem. There's 15 psalms that you would sing. None of them are very long. In fact, only one of them, Psalm 132, has more than nine verses. They would sing these songs. These psalms of ascent, the 15 of them, they're in five sets of triads, five sets of three. And uh, Alec Matyer, if you uh, want a great devotion on the book of Psalms, Alec Matyer's Psalms by the Day is fantastic. But he mentioned these psalms, these five sets of three. You can see this here in our next slide. These five sets of, nope, not the next slide. Sorry, can you go all the way past the song? Gotta go, wait. 
Yeah, there you go. You're back to my bad. We'll come back to that one. Sorry, Jeff. Who put this together? No, that was me. My fault. <laughs> so you have this, these five sets of three. Oh, sorry. Go back one. Go next one. No, nope, next. There you go. You got it. That's my fault, not his. Five sets of three. These sets, each set of three has th these three thematic structures to them. So the first, so Psalm 120 is going to have a situation of difficulty. Psalm 121, you're going to see God's power to keep. Psalm 122, security and sign is God, and then it's going to restart again in the next triad. So we're in Psalm 130. That's in the middle of this structure, which would be God's power to keep. So Psalm 129, so if you have your Bible open, Psalm 129 speaks of a difficulty. Look at Psalm 129, verse number one. Greatly have they afflicted me. Well, who's the they? You speaking of the Egyptians? You speaking of the Babylonians, the Assyrians? You speaking of just the nations around that have oppressed? We just know that there has been a history of God's people being persecuted. But they're referring back to, this is in our history. This is what has happened to us. We have been greatly afflicted. Look at Psalm 131. We see the security in Zion and its God. Psalm 131, look at verse number 2 and 3. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. This sense of security. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. There's security in our God. So you have this sense. So we are here now in Psalm 130. We have this focus on God's power to keep. So we're on the road. We're looking up, always up. Jerusalem's close. We start someone starts singing Psalm 129. And our mind floods back to the days of persecution and slavery from Egypt and the oppression that's happened since then. Mind goes back to the recent nations, possibly, since we're, we're come back now from exile. All these people that have oppressed us and we're singing out, greatly have they afflicted me. And it's in this despair that Psalm 130 starts off. What? Out of the depths I cry to you. Out of the depths I cry to you. Now before we get into this, Jeff, you have to go all the way back here. We're going to sing. So we did this last Sunday. So we're going to sing this psalm, Psalm 130. So we did this last week. We sang Psalm number one. This goes back to the Psalter that many people can use. And we're going to sing a song. Now, we already sang Psalm 130. You guys recognize this? Recognize this? Out of the depths I cried to you. Just recently. We sang it to the tune, the song before that, we sang Amazing Grace. So we're going to put Amazing Grace and Psalm 130. They're going to go together. We're going to sing it. So would you sing it? with me here. Psalm 130. Sing with me. Out of the depths I cry to you. O Lord, now hear my voice. Let your ears be there. 
great singer. And that's that sense that they would be singing this on their way up. He will redeem us. He will redeem us from all iniquity. What a great song. And your mind may be caught on the dilemma we have now here between Psalm 129 and Psalm 130. Psalm 129, they want it to be delivered from whom? Their oppressors, the wicked. There's hope in Psalm 129.4 that God has cut the cords of the wicked, but post-exile Israel is still not sovereign. They don't rule and reign their own land. The presence of God has not yet returned. God is not ruling and reigning with his people there. So as we read Psalm 130, we have to ask ourselves, where's the deliverance that's going to come? How does deliverance come and when will deliverance come? Let's read our text here in Psalm 130, 1 through 8, a song of ascent. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all iniquities. First, we're going to see the greatest need. The greatest need here in Psalm 130, verse 1 and 2. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice for my, pre, for my plea. The sense of despair from 129, Psalm 129, the, the sense of longing to be delivered, responds in this cry out to God from the psalmist. Lord, Lord, be attentive. Lord, hear. Lord, listen. Would you see and understand? He wants the Lord to hear his voice. Listen to my plea. All this points to the one in despair crying out for God. So now we must ask from whom or what is this author seeking deliverance? Again, if you're saying from Psalm 129, it's got to be the oppressors. Can you imagine those in Jesus' day? Who do you think they would want deliverance from in Psalm 129? The Romans. Get those turkeys out of here. Overthrow. Let the Messiah come. Let the general take the reins. Wipe them out. Bring back your glory, Lord. So we see the greatest need. We see the greatest deliverance in verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Who is this author, or what is this author seeking deliverance from? It's not Egypt. It's not Assyria. It's not the Romans. It's not the Medes and the Persians. Imagine again, we're singing the song on the way to Jerusalem, getting ready to keep the Day of Atonement. We long and dreadfully long for the Messiah to come, to rule and reign, to set things right. So we cry out to God from the depths of despair. Yet the song helps us realize the greatest need isn't deliverance from physical oppressors. What's the greatest need? My soul needs to be forgiven of sin. Who likes tormentors and tyrants? No one. Who wants to face the holy God on judgment day? No one. I have to be forgiven. 
I have to be forgiven of my sin. The, the ascent here is not just physical, although it is. But they realize as they were singing this song, it's not just I need oppression, deliverance from oppression. My soul needs to be delivered from me. I have to have a spiritual ascent has to take place. Where I recognize I am not what I ought to be. I have transgressed and offended a holy God. I need to be forgiven of my sin. And not just any sin, personally, my sin. And there's a problem, again, because God is holy. I am not. We are sinners. God is also omniscient. Psalm 139 tells us the Lord knows everything about us. If he knows every single sin of yours and mine, who could stand? Just go back to this last week. Go back to this last week, from last Sunday to today. And if you had to get a tattoo, just one line for every sin you committed. Go back another week. Go back a year. Eventually they have to start using whiteout because we just be covered in tattoos. They have to use whiteout to start marking again. We just be covered. We know, we know, man, if he counted, if, he, if we had to stand before the Lord of glory and he just was going to, let me pause here real quick before we discuss anything. I want to list to you all the ways that you've offended me. You sinned against the holy God. Gabriel, read the list. How long would we be there? At what point in time through the middle of the list, like I haven't even turned seven years old yet, like what, what point in time would the list just go, just punish me? I understand. I failed. I blew it. Time to time, he just punished me. Is there any hope then? For us to stand before holy God, we read in verse number four that there is good news, but with you. God, with you, there is forgiveness that you may be forgiven. Well, how is one forgiven? The psalmist does not give us a list of if you do these four things, then God will forgive you. So just do a bunch of good things, and all of a sudden it's going to erase the bad. No, we don't earn our forgiveness. We come to God with nothing but a humble and contrite heart that acknowledges, woe is me. I have sinned. God forgives. As great as our sin is, God's grace is greater still. Our sin runs deep, His grace runs deeper. But notice verse 4 does not say that Forgiveness is guaranteed. It's rather, it's a source. It's a source. To be forgiven, you must go to the source. Just because Jesus came and died for our sins doesn't mean everybody's forgiven. We don't believe in universalism, that everybody's saved. You must come to the source. Like the thief on the cross, just simply recognize him. As he speaks to the other thief, we've, we've blown it. We've blown it. They turn to Jesus Lord, remember me. Simple. I understand I'm wrong. I understand he's not. I understand he's the one that can save. He's the one I'm looking to. God, remember me. First John 1 tells us if we confess our sins, he, the Lord, is faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is the source of forgiveness, but it must be requested. Friend, have you ever asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins? Jody prayed in our time of prayer. Just because we come to church doesn't mean we're, we're saved. 
Friends, have you ever asked Jesus to save you, to forgive you of your sins? Another po- question pops up here. Why does God forgive? Christian, why did God forgive you? Because you're good? Because you're something special? Like, I don't feel like you're building me up here, Pastor. <laughs> no, just being real. Let's be honest. Look at the text. What does it say? Why did God forgive you? Was it because he, he wanted to be glorified? Sure, that's great. Because he loves? That's also great. Read about that later on. But why does he specifically say in verse number 4 that he forgives us? In verse number 4 of Psalm 130, But with you there is forgiveness. Why? That you may be sealed. That you may be sealed. Our holy God, the source of forgiveness, forgives men, women, children of their sins that they might fear him. One pastor said of this, forgiveness is not a blessing to be taken lightly, for it costs God his son. Therefore, we ought to love and fear God. If you take seriously the guilt of sin, you will take seriously the grace of forgiveness. Salvation is a serious and costly transaction. Christian, do you take God's grace seriously? May we all do so. So the greatest need is not deliverance from physical oppressors, but from our own sin. The greatest deliverance, forgiveness of sin, is given out by the one whom we've eternally offended. Next, we see our greatest hope. Our greatest hope, look at Psalm 130, verse number 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word, I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than watching for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. Have any, any of you in here ever had the... Uh, Privilege or not privilege of working third shift. Anybody kind of do third shift? Third shift, yeah. So I remember out of high school, my dad got me a job as a security slash janitor person at some company. And I was like, third shift, this is perfect. I, I'm a night owl. This is going to be great. You don't have to do hardly anything. Just clean up a little bit and just make sure nothing gets stolen. In Saginaw, Michigan. If you know much about Saginaw, Michigan, that's problematic because a lot of stuff gets stolen there. But, you know, it's like, all right, just keep your eyes awake, clean up a few things, vacuum, clean out the bathroom, we're good. So it was great. I was getting paid double, I guess getting paid $10 an hour. That's like double that more than I'd ever received. It's like 10 bucks an hour. It's like money does grow on trees. Just have to work third shift. And so I'm getting ready to work third shift. And it's just perfect, easy job. And then it hits 2 a.m. It starts getting, it's getting a little, little drowsy. Then 3 a.m., then 4 a.m., you're like, it cannot be. Like, how many times can you check your watch while working? And what are you waiting to see? The sun. If that rotten ball of light will come up, I can get out of here and get some rest. Done my job, got through the day, I can go home and sleep. The watchman waits for the morning. Just waiting. It's sure it will happen, although at 4 a.m. it seems like it won't, but it's going to come. The sun will rise. You'll get through another day. You'll be relieved of your post. You can finally have rest. Like that watchman, more than the watchman, he says, waits for the morning. More than that. Oh, I wait and hope in my God. 
I wait for the Lord. My soul waits in His Word. I hope my soul waits for the Lord. I'm waiting on Him. My hope is in Him. My hope is in His Word. What He says He will do, He will do. I trust that God has forgiven me because His Word says He has. I trust that He who has begun a good work in me will complete it because He said He will. God has the power to keep His own. I also trust that God... God's word that he will return for his own. The watchman looks for the sunrise, knowing that are we safe for one more night? The shift is over, I can finally rest, but I have firm belief the sun will come. The sun will come. It will come. I can't see it. I know it's there, but it will come. Like that, and even more so, Christians, we wait on the Lord and our hope it's not in our circumstances or our surrounding or how tired we may feel. Our hope is in the Lord because he has the power to keep his own. Christians, do your actions, your attitudes, show others in this world that your hope is in God. You are patiently waiting for him. May it be so for all of us. So we've seen the greatest need. It's not from oppressors. It's our sense of being forgiven from sin the greatest deliverance, forgiveness from our sin, the greatest hope, the truth of God's word, and lastly, we see the greatest plan. How will God accomplish all of this? How will God accomplish his forgiveness? How can he forgive me? How can he forgive you? Let's look at verses 7 through 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. With him is plentiful redemption. The cry of despair in Psalm 130 verse 1 is singular. Out of the depths I cry to you, but now we have here, he's gone from a depressed whisper of despair to a megaphone of joy. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. How do you get from depths of despair to a megaphone of joy? Recognization, you've been forgiven by God. Coupled with, and he's going to add a few more things in there, toss a couple more bones in there for you. Not just that you've been forgiven, but he says in verse 7 that you've also been loved and you've been redeemed. For with the Lord, verse 7, there is steadfast love. With him is plentiful redemption. What a great description of redemption. God can't just redeem. It's like plentiful. It's just abounding in redemption. And you look at point number four, which speaks of this plan, and you're like, well, I don't see the plan here. I, I appreciate that God forgives, and he loves, and he redeems. But what is it, where does it talk about his plan? Look at verse number eight. And he, the Lord, will redeem Israel from all its iniquity. He will redeem. He hasn't yet. But he will. And what he will someday eventually, and when, what, what will he eventually someday redeem them from? What does it say at the end of verse 8? From all their iniquities. How will God redeem one person, let alone an entire nation or entire peoples? How will he do this? Try to answer it, but first let's recall again our psalm. It's a psalm of ascent. So imagine again, you and I are in a crowd, we're <coughs> a mile away from the city. To take part in the Day of Atonement, today the high priest would symbolize our sin being placed on something else. So they'll rest the hands, 
on the scapegoat, send the scapegoat out. There will be a sacrifice that takes place. The high priest will go into the Holy Holies, which he's only allowed to go into once a year. Go into the Holy Holies to make atonement for the people's sins. So as you're, you're heading up, you're looking forward to the Day of Atonement taking place. The sins of the people falling on the scapegoat, atonement being made in the Holy of Holies, and we're singing the song, and we get to verse number 8, we're singing, He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Well, what are we doing today? It's the Day of Atonement. So why are we talking about the future? He will redeem. Well, isn't that what's happening today? Isn't the sin going to be taken away? Mm, no. Well, why not? Guess what we have to do next year? The Day of Atonement. And guess what's on the docket for the next 30 years? The Day of Atonement. How about the year after that? The Day of Atonement. When's this going to stop? When can we finally cry out that he has finally redeemed all of Israel from their sin? When will we have that day? We read about that in our text today in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. If you would flip over to Hebrews chapter 10, we'll look at two verses from there, or a couple verses from there. When will God finally redeem his people? Almost 2,000 years ago, God took on flesh, and dwelt among us, the perfect Lamb of God, the Messiah. What did he come to do? He did not come to conquer the physical oppressors, did he? Like Psalm 129 desires. What did Jesus come to do? He came to deliver them from their iniquities that we hear about in Psalm 130. Now many in the Lord's day were wanting him to deliver them, 129. You're going to set up your kingdom? You're going to take over? You're going to wipe out the Romans? No, that's not why I came. I came to give my life a ransom for many. You're in Psalm 129. You need to be, you need to skip ahead. To God's power to keep Psalm 130, I've come to forgive. I've come to be the great sacrifice. He's the scapegoat that had all the sins of the people laid on him. He's the sacrifice that gave his life He's the one that makes the way into the Holy of Holies. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep by being a living, perfect sacrifice and willingly, lay, willingly laying down his life. Christ became sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He's the Messiah, fully God, fully man, equal with the Father and the Spirit that redeems sinners from their sin. And we read in our scripture, reading Hebrews 10, the blood of bulls and goats. What do we read in Hebrews 10? It's not going to cut it. The day of atonement set up by God himself. It's not going to cut it. It was a type, there's a shadow, it's a, it's a foretelling. This is what needs to happen in a better, in a greater way. Now if we look at Hebrews 10, you're going to notice, as it speaks about what's happening at the tabernacle, and some of you know, looking back at Exodus through Deuteronomy, that in the tabernacle and in the temple, Later on, how many chairs were in the temple, in the tabernacle? Remember they had these craftsmen building things from golden rings, and they're putting together these curtains, and got tables, basins. Do you recall a chair? 
Now, as a man, that seems like enormous oversight. I don't know if you ladies, I just assume, ladies like to work, so I'm just discrediting men here. I wasn't, wasn't trying to talk against you ladies here. But for the man going, like not one? How many guys have a full blind and no chair inside to go hunting? Weirdos. Like take a seat, huh? Make it easy and comfortable. No chairs? No, no chairs. Why not? Well, look at our text in Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. Look at verse 11. And every priest stands, stands daily at his service. No sitting for you, pal. Offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Well, did they understand this? If they may not have understood it, they sang about it because Scripture foretold it. What you need deliverance from is not the oppressors around you. What you need deliverance from, as the psalmist declares, out of the depths I cry to you because my heart is sinful. And the Lord, if you pound iniquity, I would not be able to stand. But with you there is forgiveness. As he cries out the end, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord because with him there is forgiveness. He will redeem Israel from its iniquities. We look forward to that day where he will redeem us because what we're doing here, the Day of Atonement, even though we're walking up right now as we're drawing near, you see this in uh, first, uh, sorry, Hebrews 10. It says, for those that would draw near. Well, we're drawing near. I'm going up to the mountain. Going up to the temple. I'm going to worship the Lord. You're telling me what we're doing today can't take away sin? No, that's why you're singing about a future hope. The Messiah the Son of God, the perfect Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So he can never take away sins, verse number 11. Look at verse number 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, three glorious words, he sat down. It is finished. We're good. We don't need another sacrifice because the perfect one has been offered. He sat down at the right hand of God waiting for that time. So like, well, shouldn't we be in this eternal bliss? Well, we're still not there yet, Christian. We could go through more Psalms to talk about as it refers to in verse number 13 where God waits for his enemies to be put underneath him as a footstool. We're still waiting. And so we get to the end of Hebrews 10, the text that we read today, and we read as we read there, so let us, verse 22, draw near. Another, let's draw near. Let's ascend. Not to a physical temple or tabernacle to see a sacrifice that can never take away our sins, but ascend to the throne of God where the Son is seated at His right hand, having finished the work forever, completing forgiveness. He has made the way. He is, as he proclaimed himself, the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to him, come to the Father except through him. Christian, he is the way. They offered thousands of sacrifices and he kept standing day after day after day after day, recognizing my work is not done, 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 and Jesus yells out, Atelestai, it is finished. Friend, do you know me? 
do you know this amazing Savior that died for your sins? That's what we have to think through as far as what does this mean for us today? What can we take? What can we apply to our lives from, from this text that was written almost 3,000 years ago? What, what can you take away? Friend, do you know him? Have you ever asked God to forgive you of your sins? He's the source for this. He loves and can redeem you. Will you come to him today? We walk through often the ABCs. We admit that you and I, that we are sinners. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He did come. He did die. He did rise. He did ascend on high. And he still lives today to intercede on behalf of his own. Believe in him. And then call. Whoever calls the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you do that today? If you have questions on how you can do that, you're unsure what that means. You see a Christian friend you came with. See myself. Pastor Deacon here, we'd love to walk you through how you can know that. If you're here and you claim to know Jesus as your Savior, you say, I have been forgiven by the sovereign Lord of glory. Let me ask you first, Christian, are you in despair, anxious, depressed, hopeless? I encourage you, trust in God's work. You have to live here. You have to live here. Blessed is your name. Walks not in counsel, nor can nor stands away sinners, nor sits in the seat of scorners. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, yields its fruit in its season, its leaf will not wither, and all that he does he prospers. He bears much fruit for the sovereign Lord. Christian, are you depressed, anxious? in despair and hopeless. Place your hope in the word of God, knowing the sun that you may not see now will rise. More than the watchman from the morning, place your hope in Christ and his work. Trust what he says he will do. He will do it. Even if you can't see it yet, even though it seems like it's four o'clock and the, the hand's not moving, place your hope in Christ. Second, having been forgiven, Christian, are you a megaphone of joy to others? Having been forgiven by your God, are you a megaphone of joy to others? In verse number one, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Israel, hope in God. I've been forgiven. I've been forgiven. Who shouldn't I tell? I see my neighbor, my coworker, my friend, my classmate struggling. Life's hit them hard. But I have good news for them. Hope in God. Who's God? Let me tell you. Are you a megaphone of joy? How might God use you and your unbridled joy in Him to encourage others to place their faith? Next, how might daily recognition, how might daily recognition of God's free companions change how you live? Let me repeat that. How might daily recognition of God's free companions change how you live? You might say, what are his free companions? Well, we read about them in Psalm 130. So look back at Psalm 130. 
Psalm 130, I want you to look. What are the three companions of Christ? Psalm 130, you're going to see a word used three times. It's the word with. You see it in verse 4, twice in verse 7. What does it say in verse number 4? With you, with the Lord, there's what? Forgiveness. Companion 1. Verse 7, with the Lord there is steadfast love. Companion number 2. Who's his third companion? Verse 7, with him, who's his third companion, is plentiful redemption. Three companions. You think of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, where he speaks of people with metaphors. You think of three companions that's walking with Jesus, forgiveness, love, and redemption. One author said of these three and pointed them out, Yahweh has three companions. They never leave his side. He never comes without them course when we call these companions we really mean they're part and parcel of Yahweh himself when we come to him in all our sin and unworthiness we enter a rich company when he comes to us in our sin he comes not to condemn but to love ransom and forgive how might these three companions this daily dwelling on man God forgives. God loves. God redeems. God forgives. God loves. God redeems. How might dwelling and meditating on those three companions of our sovereign Lord? How might it change how you live? How might it change how you praise and worship? May it cause change in our hearts as we go throughout this week. Let's bow for a word of prayer. As we do, let's take 30 seconds we do often and this asks the Lord Lord would you have me do perhaps it's just dwelling on those three companions and, and just praising God he's here for who he is and what he's done perhaps you're here and you don't know Jesus as Lord you just need to call out to him God save Lord forgive he will friend he will Christian if you're in despair anxious depressed or hopeless Ask God to help you trust in his word that you would put your hope in him like a watchman waits for the morning. Maybe you need to be that megaphone of joy in the life and ears of others. Or just simply praising God for forgiving, loving, and redeeming. Let's take 30 seconds, quiet our hearts. After that, we'll have our team lead us in one last prayer. Jesus, we thank you for being the perfect Lamb of God. The scapegoat that took on our sin, the sacrifice that died for our sin, the high priest that made the way into the Holy of Holies that we could be with God forever. We could have access to him. We could be his children, be his own, all because of what you've done. Jesus, we thank you. Father, thank you for sending your son to be the savior of the world. Spirit, thank you for working in our hearts, convicting us of sin, and leading us in the way we ought to go. 
Lord, we pray that you would work in hearts. If there's someone here that does not know you, Lord, may today be that day of salvation for them. For us here as Christians, Lord, would you help us to hope and trust in your word. We'd simply believe what you say. Lord, because we've been forgiven, would you help us to be megaphones of joy to the lost and dying around us? And Lord, may we contemplate, meditate, and praise you for being a God of forgiveness, love, and redemption. Lord, we ask that throughout this week, our eyes would simply be turned to you and to not look elsewhere. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.